Today we'll look at John 11, verses 1 through 16, with these words. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just seeking now to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we do give you thanks that you are not a God who is hidden, but that you have spoken to us and that we have your word and wherein we can find your truth and hear what you have to say to us. And yet we're reminded, even in the passages that we look at today, that sometimes your truth is hard to understand and hard for us to receive. And yet we thank you that you have granted your spirit to illuminate, illumine us and to give us uh, that truth. And I pray today that as Andrew delves into this section of Scripture, that he may be given your spirit to tell us what we need to hear, and that through it we may be led to the light, to you who are the light of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. We're studying the book of John, as you see, and uh, in particular, we've been looking at these I am statements. We've been looking at all of John's writings. Last week, we were in Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega. This is the, the last of the statements that we're going to be looking at. I saved it for last. I want to look very closely next week at Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life, which of course comes after the, the little narrative that we read today. 
what we read today was the opening of that. Lazarus is ill. He, he dies. Jesus then travels to, to Judea, to Bethany, a little town about two miles outside of Jerusalem, and, and there raises Lazarus from the dead. This is an, an important narrative, and uh, just thinking about uh, you know, the, the journey back to Judea, I want to sort of walk that path and, and observe what do we encounter? What do we encounter with Jesus on this journey as He's going back to Judea? And uh, three things I want to highlight for you. First of all, the triumph and the glory. Secondly, the persecution and the death. And then lastly, uh, the waiting and the anointing. In some senses, this is a two-part series. Uh, be a bit of a cliffhanger at the end, and you'll have to come back uh, for next week, uh, Easter, where we're going to really fully look at the, uh, the implications of Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. What does that really mean for us? But to understand that fully, I, I think we need to walk through this. This is in many respects the entry before the entry. Today's Palm Sunday, triumphal entry. We're raising that. John records that in chapter 12, uh, part that Bob read a little bit earlier as our, as our call to worship. So this is just before that. Some days before that, we know that he goes back to Bethany six days before uh, his, the Last Supper. So this is uh, sometime before, six days before, uh, when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He is going back into Judea, which is a place he had retreated from because there were threats to his life, and it is going to be the scene of triumph and glory. We see that in, in a couple of ways. One is just uh, the fact that we know he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He tells us a little bit about this in verse 4. When Jesus heard it, he said, this illness uh, does not lead to death or will not ultimately lead to death, but rather it is for the glory of God so that God may, the Son of God may be glorified through it. Uh, there is a, a, an, an inkling here. There's uh, dropping us clues that what is happening here is about glory. It's about the glory of God. It's about the glory of Jesus as the Son of God being identified as the one who is indeed the Messiah, the anointed one. And from a, a purely human perspective, uh, it is this event more than anything, uh, this sign that sort of signed Jesus' death warrant with the Pharisees and the Herodians. Uh, if you look at the end of this chapter, uh, they're together. This is verse 50, verse 53, uh, and Caiaphas says, it's better that one man should die than the whole nation should suffer. Uh, Jesus is causing a stir, and uh, the, the glory that is being revealed through him is, is putting pressure, turning up the heat on the, the rest of the Jewish leaders, and, and they determine, verse 53, from that moment on that they are going to arrest him and kill him. Uh, so, so this is a, a, an ultimate act. Jesus, or John actually 
the verse uh, I've mentioned before, the first 11 chapters of John are what we call the book of signs. And, and this is the, the climax of the book of signs. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead uh, after four days when he was surely dead, dead, dead. Uh, he, this is the climax of that book of signs. So we see the glory of God. And of course, then the people, uh, the people recognize that. And that's what the triumphal entry is all about. The coronation, uh, declaring him to be king. Uh, this was uh, part of the journey back to Judea uh, that Jesus was engaged in. And it's part of our journey as well. We, we are called, invited into that journey to recognize Jesus for who He is. He, he is the King, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, as we've sung this morning. Glory, hallelujah. This is who He is. Have we, uh, have we knelt in our hearts and with our bodies? Have we acknowledged that? Do we hold that truth close to who we are? This is part of the invitation that we have with this. And then even just holding on to the fact that despite what we're going to talk about the rest of this, that Jesus is working out his glory and the glory of his Father. Verse 4, uh, this has happened uh, so that God may be glorified. And, and continuing to believe that, we believe it in the face of uh, so many things that are challenging for us. And we see that it was challenging for Jesus too. So secondly, I want to spend more time here this morning. This is a passage, you know, this journey to Judea that they are on uh, is, a, is a journey that involves persecution and death. We, we see it in a number of different ways in this passage. We, of course, see it in Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus, we're, we're told in uh, verse 2, uh, we're told in verse, uh, verse 3, uh, the sister sent to Jesus saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed on for a couple of days. But we, we see here that Jesus has a friend, uh, and he has a friend who is ill. And it's really significant I think for us to just stop and realize the depth of the pain that Jesus experienced as he walked the face of this earth. You know, the writer of the Hebrews said uh, that he is a, is a high priest who is able to empathize with our weaknesses because he underwent all of those things. And so here we see Jesus, and even later on as Jesus approaches the tomb and weeps, <coughs> the crowds around say, see how he loved him. You know, there is an evident bond of friendship and love that exists between Jesus and this family from Bethany. And, and as Lazarus uh, becomes ill and eventually dies, it is tearing at Jesus's heart. It, it, it's really deeply affecting him. And we recognize that this is, this is not only Jesus's journey, but this is our journey in this world as well. God gives us to each other. We have friendships. We care for one another. We have people that 
that we're related to in our family that we would lay down our lives for, and yet they find themselves walking through deep waters. They find themselves struggling with uh, the vicissitudes of life, you know, all of those difficult things that, that beset us day after day after day. Uh, and Jesus experiences this. He experiences the death of a close friend, and it tears at his heart. But it wasn't only death by natural causes that was facing them on the journey. There is also this uh, broader persecution, and we see it both for Jesus and his disciples. We've already alluded to the fact that if you look at the end of chapter 10, it says in verse 39, they, being the religious leaders, sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing, and he remained there. So when he suggests going back to Judea, uh, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, verse 8, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going to go there again? And then in verse 16, Thomas says, uh, you know, let us go with him to Judea that we may also die with him. There is a very real threat of persecution and death for both Jesus and his disciples. Uh, Jesus recognizes that what he is doing in the world, the message uh, that he is bringing, though it is the message that the world needs is also a message that is making the religious leaders and the political leaders very, very uncomfortable. It's a message that threatens their position. It's a message that threatens their power. It's a message that, as I indicated earlier, is going to turn up the heat and is going to be the occasion, uh, his raising Lazarus from the dead, for their ultimate decision to kill him. Uh, humanly speaking, this is the thing that gets him killed. Think about that. Uh, you know, the, the power to raise somebody from the dead is the thing that gets you killed. We wouldn't think about that. We think, man, that'd be awesome if you could do that. That would be incredible. We would love to see that. But if you are in a position of power and now you see somebody about to usurp that position because they have greater power, uh, we want to hold on to those things, and, and this is moving to get them killed. The disciples, of course, recognize this. Uh, Thomas is such an interesting character uh, throughout the Scriptures. I love the disciples, love Thomas. Uh, you know, unless I stick my fingers in his holes in his hands, my hand in the side, I will not believe. Jesus says, come on and do it, and he just says, no, that's enough, my Lord and my God. Here, he, he rather fatalistically says, all right, well, let's go, we'll die with him. But of course, there's a faithfulness to Thomas here, too, that you, you really have to love. Like, he's committed to Jesus, and he's going into this with eyes wide open, and he's saying, okay, uh, we've said we're going to follow him, and so we will follow him to this place. For both Jesus and the disciples, the reality of death is something uh, that is staring them in the face. And it's something for us to think about as well. You know, when Jesus calls us as disciples, uh, He bids us to take up our cross and follow Him. As Bonhoeffer said, uh, Jesus bids us to come and die. There is just a reality 
to that. Now, there is always the question of, you know, are our lives, is the message that we are holding, is it challenging the world? Uh, is it holding up uh, a way of life that is so different than the values that the world, uh, those that are not following Jesus, are holding up? If it is, there is going to be uh, this difficulty to face. When we think about Jesus, you, you realize just how ironic it is, how, how tragic it is. One writer puts it this way. He said, um, I'm not sure that the mind of man could conceive a more tragic figure at this point. The God-man going willingly to a certain death to be killed by the creatures that his hands have made. Why? To pay the price for sins that these same creatures have committed. Uh, it's no wonder the hymn writer has said, see from his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? There is a, a beauty here when we realize that Jesus in the face of persecution and death walks this path to Judea. Uh, Jesus is no uh, sort of um, uh, tragic victim. Uh, Jesus goes willingly, come, let us go to Judea, he says. I, I know what's coming. I know what's going to happen, but this is something that we must do. And in the same way, we have to recognize that part of our journey uh, day by day is, is facing difficulty and hardship. Uh, sure you all know about this. As I look out, I know many of you, and I know a lot of your stories, and I know that nobody has it easy. Uh, there is not anybody who escapes all of the, the difficulties of life, whether it is illness, whether it is divorce, whether it is uh, rebellion, whether it is, you know, so many different things pull at us. Even, you know, now as we seek to re-engage normal life, think about uh, the, you know, what does it mean to come out of this pandemic? We've been worldwide uh, disoriented and, and trying to make our way through life. It's, it's not easy to face that. It's not easy to come uh, to, to go back to normal. read an article this past week. Uh, it was by a writer by the name of uh, Anne Helen Peterson, and, and the title of the article was, No, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to, to get back to normal. She said, you know, talking about her own feelings, you may feel exhausted when you want to feel exhilarated. You may feel panicked when you thought you'd feel safe, combative when all you want is to feel soothed. Your social skills may have atrophied, and you're probably going to get in some big fights that will seem like they're about nothing, but they're actually just about everything. You're going to crave some of the parts of quarantine life that you swore you never would. Uh, you never would. You're probably going to overplan, overschedule, feel an alarming and unexpected need for solitude, have to pull back, and have to reevaluate. There is just a real sense that, you know, facing up to the difficulties of life is a common experience from big to little. 
and one of the things that we're reminded of here is even as we're moving towards I am the resurrection and the life, uh, difficulty lies in the path ahead of time. So if you're experiencing that, if you're feeling that, the, the weight of that, we're, we're in good company. But Jesus does say two other things just in relation to that, and you see that in verse 9 and 10. 9 and 10, he starts to talk about day and night and working. He says, are, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What Jesus seems to be saying here is, is two things, and, and it's particularly about facing difficulty, because the disciples are saying, hey, do you really want to go back there? There's people that want to kill you, and Jesus answers, you know, there are 12 hours in the day. Uh, if you walk in the day, you don't have to worry about stumbling. Two things I think he is saying. The first is this. Uh, one, the Jews divided their day into two 12-hour periods, and that largely had to do with the amount of light that was available to them. This is obviously before light bulbs or any of this, and so you had to work while it was day. You had stuff to do. You had journeys to take. You had work to accomplish, all of that while it was day. And Jesus seems to be saying, you know, I know that there are difficulties ahead, but there's only 12 hours in the day, and we have got to do the stuff that we've got to do. There is work ahead of me that is necessary that I have to do. So no matter how difficult it is, I have to take the next step. I have to go to Judea. And I think that there's something there for us, too. I, I realize that, you know, like this writer has expressed, there, there is a part of us maybe that doesn't know how to engage again after a pandemic. Maybe there is residual fear with regards to the virus. Uh, maybe we feel stung just over um, the way that we've disagreed with how things have been handled one way or another. How do we, how do we come out of that? Part of what Jesus is saying here is discipleship means facing it. Discipleship means going forward. It's not just pulling back and staying in your hobbit hole, but it's getting out and it's, go <clears throat> and it's going forward uh, into the places where God calls us. And it's, you know, all aspects of life. You know, your relationships that you have with your children, your adult children, uh, your relationships in the neighborhood, the difficulties that you have at work, uh, the need that we have to, to share the gospel with folks. And we live in a community where, where 60% of people would, would claim no regular church affiliation. Uh, you know, this is not sort of the West Michigan of old where everybody went to church in one way, shape, or form. There, there's lots of work to be done. And Jesus is saying there's 12 hours in the day. Uh, you, you need to work while it is light. But then there is also the promise there, not only the necessity, but the promise that uh, if we walk by the light, we will not stumble. And I think Jesus there is speaking to his own self-revelation as the light of the world. And, and Jesus is promising that he will be with us. So yes, you are facing persecution and death. Yes, there is hard stuff that you have to walk through, but you're not alone. 
You're not alone. Jesus walks with you uh, through this time. If you walk by the night, if, you, if you're not clinging to Jesus, if you're not following the light of His Word, well, then, then you're going to stumble. But if you walk in the light, even as He is in the light, which is a very Johannian uh, theme there, uh, then we will find true path. The last thing I, I want us to note here in this passage is that uh, there is an incredible part of the journey that is waiting and anointing or, or waiting and embracing. If I were going to redo the outline, I would uh, redo it that way, but it's Sunday and it's already printed, so I can't redo the outline, right? Uh, such an interesting passage. I, you know, Jesus, as I've mentioned, uh, has already been highlighted as loving Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Uh, it comes through throughout this chapter. Uh, we know that he has stayed with them before. Luke tells us a story about Mary and Martha and Martha being busy and Mary listening at his feet and all these different things. So there's a deep relationship here. This is what makes verses 5 and 6 uh, such a non sequitur. So listen to this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And that makes absolutely no sense. I mean, we, we would think that, you know, because he loved, you know, the writer's making this point, uh, Jesus loved them. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he commandeered the quickest horse that he could find, and he galloped to the place in order to meet them at their time of need. But, but that is not how the, the account is, is given. And, and as the story plays out, Jesus reaffirms his decision to wait as he talks to his disciples. You know, verse 11, he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples don't get it. They say, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Uh, now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, uh, because I've stayed here, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, uh, so that you may believe, but let us go to him at this point. Jesus intentionally waited. He intentionally delayed in order that Lazarus would die, in order that he could be in the tomb for four days, which, uh, you know, they say when he tells them to roll away the stone, they're like, we can't do that. He's stinking. I mean, he was, he was officially dead in everybody's mind. This was not a resuscitation. This was not a misdiagnosis. Uh, everybody knew that Jesus, or that Lazarus was absolutely dead, dead. But Jesus wanted it that way, and that's what we struggle with. We struggle with this in all of our life because like Mary and Martha, we have legitimate needs that we bring to Jesus because we know that He loves us, and He delays. 
He doesn't do anything. He doesn't answer our prayers. How many times have you prayed for that loved one? How many times have you prayed about your own struggle against sin? How many times have have you gone to the Lord about your depression or your anxiety? How many times have you brought these things before the Lord and He seems to delay One writer says, we think that waiting is a parenthesis, but it's not. God is working, only we can't see it. Most of us will spend an eternity thanking God for prayers that He did not answer. I don't know that I am spiritually mature enough to be there completely yet. I I, I still feel anxious about that. Uh, I, I, I want God to, to answer my prayers because, frankly, I think I know best uh, what needs to be happening, what, what, what the best course forward. But part of what this story teaches us so clearly is that there are things happening. Jesus is going to answer their prayer at a deeper level than they ever could have conceived. Uh, they, they weren't thinking resurrection. That wasn't, the, the Jews uh, believed that in a resurrection at the last day, but they did not believe in resurrection in this form or fashion, even though Jesus had already raised the widow of Nain's son um, and, you know, the other daughter. But uh, they, they didn't really, it wasn't part of their worldview, so they weren't really expecting this. But Jesus was operating at a deeper level. Some of you may struggle with this. Uh, even this morning, I, I alluded to a number of things that we pray for that we, we don't necessarily receive answers for immediately. Uh, one, uh, Diana Kruver, uh, Groover uh, recently wrote a book highlighting the, the lives of saints who struggled with what appears to be depression. Uh, one saint, she talks about, uh, she talks about her wrestling with God's very existence, but still she directed all of these thoughts and feelings to the Lord. Still she prayed. She prayed. Jesus met her on the way. He met her in her stifled words. He met her uh, as she was surrounded by the prayers of her sisters during their community prayers. He met her as she walked the streets. She prayed boldly uh, of her pain, even telling God she didn't know if she believed in Him. Regardless of her feelings, she brought her thoughts, her questions, her hurts before God. She didn't know what to pray and sometimes wasn't convinced that God was listening at all, that He was even there. But she turned her aching heart to Him, kept praying, kept calling out. She pounded on heaven's door, begging God to listen, begging Him to appear. This did not remove her pain. It did, bring instant, it did not bring instant light to her darkness, but it did keep her in the right place at the feet of Jesus. I was surprised to find out that the person she was describing was Mother Teresa. Uh, Fifty years, according to Groover, she struggled with this darkness, uh, railing uh, against God, crying out to God, begging, pleading. Uh, She said that there was only one month 
in her 50 years of ministry where she really felt the lightness and the closeness of God. Everything else was very similar to that experience that I, uh, I just read. She waited on the Lord all of those years, but I, I, I like what, uh, what Groover says. It kept her in the right place. It kept her at the feet of Jesus. And what's so interesting about this passage is, you know, as Jesus takes this path and He invites His disciples and He invites uh, Mary, Martha, Lazarus on this journey, it's Mary who really grasps it so deeply. Verse 2, we're told about the village of Mary and Martha, Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped His feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. What's so interesting about verse 2 being placed here is that this hasn't happened yet. Uh, It's going to happen in chapter 12, you know, the first uh, 12 verses or so is the recount of that story. But, But John, the Holy Spirit using John, wants to link this journey with Mary coming and anointing the feet of Jesus. And when, when she does that, you remember Judas says, well, this money could have been sold and given to the poor. But Jesus says she has done a beautiful thing because she has connected this anointment with my burial. What Mary understands through this is that the death of Jesus has to be embraced. The death of Jesus has to be embraced in order for us to find the hope that we need. As we enter into this Holy Week, as we look towards Good Friday, we we really have to come to the same place that Thomas comes to in verse 16. It's one of those interesting passages where Thomas just says what's on his mind, let us go that we may also die with him. But he's saying so much more than he knew at that moment. He was just thinking of his love for Jesus and his willingness to lay down his life for this one that he thought was the Messiah. But what he's actually saying is the thing that comes to each one of us, that unless we die with him, unless we are crucified with Jesus on that cross, we absolutely have no life. But if we are, If we embrace His death in the way that Mary does, in the way that Thomas points us to, if we do, we will have life. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans 6. If we've been united with Him like this in death, we will certainly be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that our old self is crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who died... Uh, has been freed from sin. This is the promise that we have here. This is what Mary sees as she comes and she anoints the feet of Jesus. She recognizes that He has to walk this path and that she has to walk it with Him. Brothers and sisters, as I said, it's a bit of the cliffhanger. We're, we're, we're not getting to the resurrection and the life part this week. It's there. It's coming. But this week, uh, as we look forward, we have to go through Good Friday. We have to go through the table, through the body broken, through the blood poured out. This is the journey.
And sometimes it's waiting, crying out, finding ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Other times it's, it's facing up, it's doing the work that has to be done in the daylight. But always the question is, do you believe this? Do you believe that this is the path that must be walked? I'm going to invite you to pray with me in just a minute, and then we'll respond by singing, wait for the Lord. And then we'll come to the table. And for those of you who know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can say, yes, I do believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for how it comes to us. Lord, we thank you for its invitation. We ask that you would help us in this moment to receive it even more deeply. Father, I pray for those who do not know the Savior uh, in this way. I pray that you would open eyes and hearts. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.